This morning's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. And we'll finish with Revelations 19, verses 6 through 7. Please follow along in your own Bibles, or as the text is presented on the screens above. I will be reading from the New International Version today. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And from Revelations. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Good. Okay, now I am anyway. Patty, my wife, uh, isn't here today. Well, she's here, but she had to teach the kids out there, and she was very glad when I told her what I was talking about, that she had just happened to sign up for, yeah, yeah, you know how it's tough being a pastor's wife, and then when you have this this topic, hopefully uh, you got the word, if you're visiting today, that we're going to be talking about uh, sex for the next six weeks, and um, if, if you didn't get that word and you want to get up now, it's okay, all right? Um, I want to. I want to. I've used this before. This quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. But um, Butch Hancock is a country western guy from Lubbock. There's probably a lot of country western people from Lubbock, Texas. But he says in Lubbock, we, when we grew up, there were two main things that you had to know. First, that God loves you and He's going to send you to hell. <laughs> and secondly, that sex is bad, dirty, and nasty and awful, and you need to save it for the one you love. <laughs> Part of the reason that there's confusion is because there's not a lot of talk of the purposes of God for sex, but we have been, the conversation has been dominated by the don'ts, right? So, uh, and that doesn't work real well. As parents, you know that you can only say, don't do something because I told you so. Because I told you so, how often, or how many times can you get away with that as a parent? It, it, it goes so far. And here's the principle that um, I'm going to use here. The big no, the big no without the big narrative becomes a big negative. The big no without a big story as to why becomes a big negative. And that's true in parenting in general. It's true um, as we approach God's word. And um, 
I want to illustrate by the Ten Commandments, which are right at the core of God's revelation, these ten, and we would call them the big no's, but you can also see the yeses that are in there. But these big no's begin with a statement, with a narrative statement, I am the Lord, your God, who loved you and called you, delivered you out of Egypt. There's a story there. And then he gives these commandments. And so the commandments are embedded in a story. And that's really important. So here's an illustration when it comes to sexuality. I I was so, uh, this did not surprise me, but I think it's just so revealing. And that is that research shows, and I can't remember the numbers, but that uh, when it comes to teens, teens who have had a personal encounter, uh, experience, a relationship with God, have a much higher rate of following God's commands when it comes to sexuality than those who don't. Totally, doesn't that make sense? That, that, that a, a teen or an adult who has a strong personal connection to the living God is going to be way more likely to do what he says. And uh, again, it's, it's in, the, it's in the, nor- the narrative that those big no's or those don'ts uh, really make sense to us. Otherwise, they really don't make sense. And there's a lot of testimonies uh, to that, including my own and many of you. Um, well, today we're going to focus on the big yes or the big vision that God has for sexuality for us. And um, I, I want to give you kind of an outline for this whole series. We, we want to be a, a safe place to talk about what God says, what the Bible says, and there is disagreement you know, on that. There's different interpretations. We can get into some of that. But we need to be safe in talking about it. It's okay. And we're, you know, we're a church, so I figured that. But we also need to be honest about talking about our brokenness. And that's really hard. And I know that for some of you, you're going to have some old wounds opened up during this series. I, I just know that. And that's part of the Holy Spirit's work in you. So don't, don't get too nervous about that. But in, in week two, or week one and two, we're going to be talking about these positive aspects of healthy sexuality and the big vision that God has for sexuality for us as humans. And then in week three, uh, we'll be dealing with sexual brokenness. And uh, we'll have three weeks on sexual brokenness. Week three, we're going to talk about the domination, manipulation, what is, what is commonly called now the Me Too movement. But it's, it's, it's that area of uh, sexual discord and uh, it, things that shouldn't be done in this world. In week four, we have a husband and wife team that are coming to us, and I've been in contact with them, and they are going to share their story of sexual brokenness around pornography. And the, Both the husband and the wife are going to share that. Week five, we have to talk about same-sex attraction. We're going to talk about that. What is, what is that? How do we process that? And then uh, week six, we're going to focus in on sexual healing. So that'll be the theme that day. I want to say that the teens, and if you're a teen, then you know you're in here this week and next week, and then they will be going out, and they'll be be having conversations, parallel conversations around these topics in, in two weeks. And then also for single people. Can we say, let's hear it for single people? <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm going to make a, a point out of this in this series that whenever I can, I'm going to... Because there's just so much that has been felt and, and said uh, that, that we need to kind of 
pull back and, and include single people who God has a special place for and see how things apply to them. All right, um, let's get into it here. And I want to, I have to begin, uh, we're going we're gonna to get into the God's word that was read for us, but I've got to get into some of the cultural stuff uh, first. And really one main thing and then a couple of responses to it. So for, for those of you who are old enough to, um, to remember this, but there really was a seismic shift when it comes to sexuality in the 1960s. It, it, when people talk about the sexual revolution, they, they are not exaggerating. It was a revolution. So I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it, it, it's helpful to hear it maybe again. That uh, prior to the 60s, at least in, in our culture, in, in uh, Western culture in general, and um, sexuality was not talked about very much. You probably wouldn't have heard a sermon on sexuality in a church. It, just, it was kind of hidden. And there were lots of cultural, I mean, there was, there was a lot of censorship in the movies and television and all that stuff. You just didn't get it out into the open. And there was a general belief along with that, though, that sexuality was good. It was, it was good, but not talked about. Good for families and good for society. Uh, and the, the main things were that sex within marriage was what, you know, this is what you were taught in the, by your embarrassed uh, ninth grade uh, phys ed teacher or whoever that really wasn't qualified to talk about it, you know, it, they were all embarrassed and all this. And, but it, it, you, have to, you have to keep it within marriage, and then it was all about self-control. I don't know if that rings true with anybody else that went through the 60s, but that's kind of what, what I experienced as a teen growing up during those years. And, and it was as it came, as it unfolded um, into the late 60s, things really changed. So we began to talk way more openly about sexuality. It was on the front of Time Magazine, etc. It became much more pronounced in the movies and television. Much more open. And the key thing is not self-control, but self-expression. Big difference, right? Between self-control and self-expression. I mean, that's huge. And there was no sense of the common good. It was only about what is good for you as an individual. And Freud had said things earlier in the century about how any sexuality that gets repressed is unhealthy and it oozes out unhealthy stuff all over the place. A theory that's never been proven, but it was bought into. Okay? Anyway, I I don't want to give too much commentary here, but that's, you know, repressed sexuality needs to be expressed. And he also said that at the core of the human self... Is, the, is, the, is your sexuality. Something the Bible doesn't say. The Bible says that the most human person that ever lived is Jesus Christ, and he was not sexually active. I mean, it's really different, folks. But, but we have all drunk the Kool-Aid, folks. We have all... It's in, this, it's in the water, or whatever. So these ideas uh, were birthed, or became mainstream, I should say, in the 1960s. And the ethic that became pronounced is that two people who consent to whatever, uh, that's it. That's, that's the only, if they don't consent, then that's off limits. And we see that, the boundaries of that, I mean, there was another legislature in our state who had to resign yesterday because he transgressed 
that boundary. So there is an ethic there, but it's, it's pretty much down to just that ethic of two consenting adults. And there are two messages, and I, I don't have time to flush these out, but they're both active in our culture. One is that sex is everything, and that's connected to a romantic uh, worldview. And the other message, which you hear almost equally, is sex is no big deal. How do you, you know, just those two messages alone are enough to create some confusion, are they not? Sex is everything, and sex is no big deal. Well, we might get into a little bit of what, what's behind those uh, confusing messages. All right. Response. So I want to give you just two ways to respond to that stuff. And the first one is, this is uh, the work of Christian Smith and uh, well, another, another author, sociologists, and they've boiled it down to what they call moral, uh, moralistic the- uh, therapeutic deism. You'll see some of the things that we just talked about in the 60s that have worked in here. And let me, let me just walk through these. I've used these before. Uh, they're very... If you're studying these, these kind of topics, you run into this in the research. God created and watches over the world. Okay, he created and watches over the world. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair. The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. Now, that's definitely uh, in, very much in line with the 1960s stuff. We only need God when we have a problem, and good people go to heaven when they die. Now, for every lie to have uh, traction, it needs some truth in it. And there is some truth in all of that, but you need to know that that is very far, very, very far from what the Bible says about who God is. This, this series is called God, Sex, and Life. <laughs> and this is, I mean, you can't separate those. And this is, these are, I didn't say this, but these are the research um, outcomes of the survey of, dealing, of, of asking teens in America how they view God. And these are the five main things that were discerned. Um, in there, just take note, what I said earlier about the research of the key, maybe the key variable, whether a, a, a teen at least, will want to follow God's commands is that they have a personal relationship. There's nothing about personal relationship in any of that. Nothing. Zero. Flat. Nothing. And why would anyone who believes that want to follow God's commands relating to anything, let alone sex? I wouldn't. I didn't. I was a teenager who was sexually active, okay? I mean, it's, that's not going to get you very far. Well, uh, there's another question, and this is, uh, this is way beyond sexuality, but it includes sexuality. There's two options, and you, this is the question. What is the primary text for your life? And you have two options, basically. Your life is the primary text for you. While scripture is a secondary text, your feelings and experiences are decisive. Biblical truth must harmonize with them. That's one approach. The other approach is scripture, and the gospel is the core of scripture. That scripture is the primary text for your life, interpreting your experiences and feelings. You don't read scripture as much as scripture reads you. 
Now, this is, we could be talking about anything today, but if you don't settle that one, you're not going to want to hear what God has to say unless it fits in with what you already believe and think and feel. This, I want, I'm not going to use the term postmodernism, but the, this is, postmodernism is that I, I determine the truth based on what I think and feel. And so uh, this is, this is a discipleship question that we all have to wrestle with. And I can tell you what the right answer is, but it, well, it's not right until you decide what it is. You, you have that dignity. All right, so the Scripture does say a lot. There's a lot of don'ts in Scripture, and we're not going to go there as much. Remember, we're going to focus here on the positive stuff, the big vision that God has. And there is big vision within Scripture. Let me just give you one example. The Song of Solomon... Anybody read it? Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> see, there is interest in sex in this room. I, I see that. The Song of Solomon it is the most erotic, uh, maybe salacious uh, book in the Bible by far. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, some of you who aren't Bible readers, never know, I know you're going to go home and check it out. Okay. But it really is very beautiful. Very erotic. But it, in the Christian and Jewish tradition, in both, it has been seen as having double meaning for thousands of years. Double meaning in the sense that it is a beautiful picture of the erotic relationship between husband and wife. And it is also a beautiful picture of the relationship between God and his people. Both. That's a vision for what sex is. It's way more than just the biology stuff. It points to something amazing. That's a big purpose that sexuality carries with it. And sexuality and spirituality are really not that far apart. And it takes some, you have to be careful on that, but uh, that's how the Bible presents it. All right, are you ready to get into some of the scripture now? Well, we're going to do it, so here we go. Ready or not. Uh, naming God's design, we're going to go to Genesis, which is, we're going to go to the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible here. We'll start with the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And what does it say about human beings, and male and female? In the image of God, he created them. Uh, that should say he created him. The them is, is not in that. Then he adds, male and female, he created them. That was me being too fast on my computer. All right. Um, so we're going to talk about this image of God thing and see how sexuality relates to the image of God. And I want to uh, give you this word. It's a, it's a, a Greek word, perichoresis. Perichoresis. And... It, it's a theological term. It's not found in the Bible. Let me just say that. But it's, it's used in descriptions of theologians trying to sort out who the, how to talk about the Trinity. And they've been using this word for centuries, perichoresis. And it has to do with the sacred self-giving dance. The word dance comes in to a lot of these conversations of the eternal God who was never alone. You see, we, the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So one thing, that God in, in his essential being 
was never alone. There was never a time when God was alone. There is, there is relationship within himself. And there's mystery that abounds here. We, and this is not a sermon on the Trinity, but I, I just want to get this main point across, perichoresis. So here we have, if we go to chapter 2 of Genesis, it's not, this is not chronologically written. This is a summary statement of male and female, he created them. We find that in Genesis chapter 1. But in chapter 2 of Genesis, we actually go back and to see how he created them in God's image. And what we find is Adam by himself in chapter 2. And he was a sad puppy. (laughs) Very sad. He was alone. Now, I want to make this point. He was not in God's image at that point. Because God is relational. God was never alone, and Adam is alone. Somebody said it, but hunger makes the best sauce. And he's hungry. And God parades, I think God, this just sense of humor, parading these animals in front of him. And he wants to dance. Have you ever danced with a cat? <laughs> I mean, you know, you just get, come away with scratches, you know, or... There's no good dancers in the animal kingdom. And dance is a, it's not a euphemism for sex, but there's a relationship here with the word that we call sex. So God then makes this woman named Eve, and now they image God. And he is exuberant, is he not? Uh, The words are, now flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones, and he's jumping up and down, and she can dance, and now I can dance. And things are happening. There's great joy on planet Earth. And um, Jesus quotes this passage. So this this passage, Jesus quotes that, that... and, and so there's, a, there's this erotic joy. And then there's a next, the next line in verse 25 is this right here has to do with leave and cleave. And this has got something to do with sex and it has something to do with the image of God. You shall be in an exclusive covenant relationship and, and this is what leave and cleave implies and that if sexuality is, is certainly part of that, it will be a sign. It will point toward that relationship that it, it points towards God as a faithful covenant keeper. Leaving and cleaving. This is what Jesus quotes in Matthew 19. And so you have in, in this creation story, you have this erotic thing going on and you have this what we might call agape thing going on this covenant keeping the word covenant means I will never leave you I am faithful this is, and this is what God this is who God is this is imaging God you see you image God by being in relationship and you image God by being faithful and exclusive with one other person that's how you image God sex isn't just sex it's a symbol it's, this is, I'm trying to give you the vision it's, it's a symbol of who God is. Now, Genesis chapter 3, 
you know, the whole thing goes and falls apart. And we don't have to go into the details. Total meltdown. Life is hard. If you couldn't dance before, you're not going to be able to now. It's really hard. And uh, one of the things that happens there is that before that, they were naked and unashamed. And not just physically naked, but naked relationally and psychologically and all that stuff. They were naked and unashamed, and now they're naked and they're ashamed. And they want to cover up, just like you and I like to cover up. That's why the right to privacy is such a big thing. It's really what's behind it. We don't want people to see into that gaping wound. And that's, that's the inner stuff, that the, the, the shame and the self-hate and, and the feeling of being inadequate and all of that stuff is now a part of this self-conscious stuff. And that's how it gets worked out within us. And then outwardly there's blaming and manipulation and domination. And socially it's just a mess. And, you know, some of you know this, that marriage can be the loneliest place in the world in spite of God's intentions for it. So that's what we find in Genesis chapter 3. Now there's also a wedge that is driven in here, a, a separation of these two words that I mentioned earlier. These are, these are Greek words for love. Uh, there's, there's more than two, but these are the two we're going to look at. Eros, from which we get the word erotic, right? Uh, it's sensual love. It's related to beauty and sex. I want to say this, erotic the, the word, the way it's used in the Bible and in ancient culture, it's not just sex. Sex is erotic, or hopefully, I mean, it, it, that's okay. But erotic has to do with beauty in a bigger sense. And this is where, um, uh, it has, this is, single people need to hear this. I mean, it, it, just because you, you're, you're in a place where sex isn't part of your life, eroticism can still be, as you relate it to beauty, and what that points toward is God himself. And so here, I want to say this about, if, if married people are, when I see a married couple, and they are exclusive in their relationship with each other, they are pointing to the kingdom of God. When I see a single person who is, celibate. They are pointing to the kingdom of God. And we need both to be healthy. This is, there's way more than biology going on here. Spirituality and sexuality are flowing. So anyway, sensual love related to beauty and sex. It is both bodily and spiritual. Uh, It can give a feeling of transcendence. This is one of the things that that um, the secular literature will talk about is that sexuality or uh, sex gives you a feeling of transcendence over everyday life. It is not enough to sustain a relationship over the long term, however. I don't think I need to make that that point. I mean, it's, there's much research that's been done on that and much just human, I think your, your intuition tells you that. So something more is needed, and this is the word agape. It's a mature, sacrificial love that puts the beloved first, so the other person is first. And this is what God does towards us. It's faithful. It will never, ever let go. Now here's, here's what happens in Genesis chapter 3, is that these two words get divided or separated. And what God's intent is, is for eros to be in the greater context of agape. And that is a beautiful thing. That image is God. When that happens, when, when your erotic love is in the context of 
this agape love that will never, ever let go. But we see the separation of that in our world. Pornography is maybe the most graphic example of that, but there's many others. So, it's all about being in the image of God. Sexuality helps us to see what it means to be in the image of God, that we are relational beings and that we are called to be faithful in uh, our relationships, and particularly in the marriage relationship uh, and sex within marriage. Okay, the big vision. I want to end with this. Naming of God's big vision. So we go to the end of the Bible, and uh, this would be Revelation chapter 19. I want to, before we get into it, I want to, the Bible invites you to use your imagination. And if you don't have an imagination or if it's not activated, you're going to miss a lot of stuff. And someone has said, and I really like this quote, that uh, unless your imagination is bigger than your memories, you have no future. Let me say that one again. Unless your imagination is bigger than your memories, you have no future. I think that's overstating it, but it's an invitation to use your imagination as, and, and obviously I think uh, the book of Revelation is inviting us at various points to use our imagination. But, um, and, and before we get into the text, desire, uh, because, because much has been um, said about desire, in C.S. Lewis gave a great uh, corrective to a lot of the things that have been said about Christians and desire. And this quote, I just can't do a sermon like this without using it. It would seem that our Lord uh, finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy, this is erotic, by the way, that would be in that category, infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum. And I, I would call uh, pornography mud, mud pies in a slum. I mean, that's, that's about what it is. Because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Now, um, Augustine, who lived in the 5th century, had something similar to say. I'm going to use that too. And that is that desire is not the problem. The problem, in fact, God created us, created us to have huge desires, but that those desires are only going to be fulfilled or met in him. That underneath all of our earthly desires, including our sexual desires, is a, is a desire for God. God has put eternity in our hearts. That's from uh, Ecclesiastes. You've probably heard that before. But it's that idea that we're just sort of these longing, frustrated beings wanting something that isn't quite there. And Revelation gives us a picture of what may be there. So Revelation Revelation 19, verses 6 and 7. Uh, Hallelujah. Our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. And it's a picture of a, of a wedding celebration. And it's meant to be erotic and beautiful. And the language is very similar to that of Adam when he saw Eve. It's this, uh, it's this off-the-charts joy that you sense as you look at this passage and you take it in for yourself. 
And you think about when Adam saw Eve and, and this erotic feeling. I mean, you know, you know what that, that, that feeling is, is amazing. And, this, and some have said that, that this, what we're talking about here, if sex is here, this is here in terms of the experience of it. And if you could never dance, you will dance now. And I include myself in that statement. So, um, but it will be a time of great rejoicing. It is a, it's a picture of the, the eros love and the agape love coming together. And you will no longer be self-conscious. Do you know how hard it is to dance when you're self-conscious? I mean, that's just the epitome for me of dancing is being self-conscious. I just can't do it. I mean, some of you are good at it, but not me. But to think of a time when you're no longer self-conscious, when that wound that was created way, way back, that's part of our lives, is healed up. When we are totally naked, psychologically naked, and totally loved, and it's like the first time I mean, it's, it's, this is be off the charts in terms of what we will experience. And you will know the love of God in Christ Jesus. Be more real than anything you've ever experienced in this life. This is not pie in the sky. This is reality. And that reality is the vision God gives us. And it is what sex points towards. That's a big vision. I'm done. <laughs> Almost. Let's pray. Oh Lord, look into our hearts. Look into the longings that are there, some of which we don't understand. Look into the brokenness that is there, some of which we don't understand either the desires, some of which are disordered. Wash us, we pray. Forgive us, wash us. For thinking that sex is dirty, forgive us for making sex into a God. Forgive us for focusing so much on the don'ts that we don't stop to see and to smell the beauty that you have created that points toward a great vision of you wanting to be intimate with people. And that one day that love that we have a sense of now that we, we pick up on is distant, will be close and near and clinging. And we'll know we are loved as if for the first time And we pray for that today. We pray for the knowledge of that, for more of that today. In Christ's name, amen.